You're listening to the Soakin' Community Podcast. Your favorite source for gaming, film, and internet debate starts now. I feel like I need one of those, just like, the the tubes that you blow into at, like, celebrations with the confetti. Not like a party popper, but like the... I want to say kazoo, but they're not kazoo. <laughs> yeah, that. Thank you. Anyway, so hello everyone, and welcome to the Soaking Podcast. I'm your host, T, and with me are Jace and Leo. That's Jace Drayson, live from Alderaan. And hello, it's Leo, live from my living room. Both doomed places. No, no. <laughs> you wear death stars. Uh, and it's 2020. Uh, another decade of surviving has gone by. We are still here, and we are excited to take a look back at the 2010s today for fond and some not-so-fond memories. So, how has the last eight been treating you? It's been a rough decade, let's be honest. This is the most grown-up decade I've ever had because I've been the oldest of my life in this decade. And so a lot of old man problems have emerged. I mean, nothing like uh, nothing like dysentery or, or like incontinence, but s- severe issues like having to work every day and having to cash in policies the 2010s are not going to go down as as the best i'm totally looking forward to the roaring 20s (laughs) i mean it's been a pretty good decade for me um granted i'm in the same boat older than i've ever been and let me tell you um gravity's not been kind to me it seems to be more attracted to me um the older i get and my clothes seem to be getting smaller it's the strangest uh, predicament but I've learned to adapt, um, but I, I'm honestly, it's been, it's been an interesting decade. I'll say that um, there have been some wild ups and downs, uh, but all in all, I mean, for me personally, it's it's ultimately been pretty good. I mean, um, you know, family's doing well, life is good. Um, I got no real complaints. I got, um, you know, I got my health mostly, except for that whole gravity thing, but. You know, it's going good. For sure the fattest ever. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, yeah. Tell me about it. I turned 20 this year. My 20th oh, oh get middle. out of here. Shush. I peaked in the 90s. <laughs> Today we'll be reviewing 2010 through 2019 to talk about how gaming has evolved, how the film industry has changed, and how internet culture has affected the modern generation. Let's get rewinding. (laughs) The 2010s, regardless of our feelings on them, whether they've been expressed or we're going to express them, they've undoubtedly been a great decade for gaming technology and playstyle. Everything from the earliest releases, games like Minecraft and their beta phases, to the new and ever-advancing VR technology has been a major part of gaming history over the past 10 years. We'll start out small with the indie games and the little guys of the industry. Untitled Goose Game has been doing really well recently and is just really entertaining to me as a concept, but there's also Undertale came out this the past 10 years, Stardew Valley, Cuphead, Limbo, and way more than 
we would like to, well, there's plenty more we would like to be able to list, and sadly would not be able to because that would take up the entirety of our time. So, do you guys think indie games are making a rise because of lack of attention to AAA titles, or simply because people are looking for new mediums to get their gaming from? I don't know that it has anything to do with either of those things. I think, to me, the reason indie gaming is on the rise is because there's more access to <clears throat> the ability to develop games in the mass public so more people have the tools to build games and so they are and some of those games catch on some of those games catch the eyes of some type of publisher or developer or um, indie studio or they they develop them and, and release them themselves so more people have rigs at home that can do that back in the day really there were there were only certain companies or powerful machines that could actually do that in, in in places where people developed games only the technology is such that in our living rooms we now can have very powerful pcs and you know if i knew how to do it i could create a game on my machine it's a relatively high-end machine and and i could program something if i knew what the hell i was doing i don't so i'm not but i really think that the the real reason um indie games are are on the rise is because gamers have grown up the, my generation who were kids when gaming became a home thing and now we have jobs and talents and, and funds to spend we've got the ability to do it and we're making the games we've always wanted to play um, I'm not saying that only they're coming from my age of people, certainly not, but I do think that that's a big part of it. Grown-ups have access to the tools I think that's certainly a factor. More people are in a better position to be able to create these games, but the truth is in order for these games to be popular, people have to buy them and they have to play, they have to be able to play them. I think the reason that these games are more popular than I think they ever have been is become is because there are more venues with which to access them. Um, I'm a huge proponent of uh, Steam, for instance. It has exposed me to games that I would have never been exposed to had I only been able to find these games at best buy or gamestop or you know whatever whatever video game outlet is your cup of tea um the the truth is being able to go online and being able to find indie developers and being able to take a look at different genres that triple a companies don't typically dip their toes into because they're either uh, they're not the flavor of the month or they're not the thing that's going to return the millions um has really opened up a whole new world of gaming for me. Uh, I remember when I first started gaming, uh, it was on uh, a, uh, forgive me, console. Uh, and um, I quickly learned that that wasn't the best means of actually playing games, but I was limited to what I had available to me. And then even when I started PC gaming, I would be limited to browsing the shelves at... <laughs> Well, I've already dated myself, but I remember going to Blockbuster and... Well, no, no, not for PC games. Um, but I remember looking on the shelves at GameStop or whatever for different PC games. Um, and, and that was really the, um, the, the, the whole... My whole exposure to what PC games were even available. Once something like Steam came out, and I remember having to download Steam when I bought... Um, Ooh, it was a Warhammer 40k game, and I was irritated that I had to download this other program called Steam, but man, am I glad that I did. 
because through that I got to see so many more PC games that were all these different genres uh, games like Undertale games like Cuphead um, I got exposure um, to there was a game uh, that was recently even touted in the Soken community that um, I thought was a really cool kind of endorsement for a game like this. It was the Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, for anybody who might be familiar with that. Um, and the endorsement was really, um, I don't know, impactful. Um, I even endorsed the game because of that to my daughter, um, who was interested in playing more, you know, psychological kind of games. Um, the, uh, the person who endorsed it was from Knights of Soken. I'm going to mispronounce it. Ondasmena? Ondase. Ondase. Okay, thank you. Ondase me. Uh, Ondase me. Yes. Um, I knew I'd get it wrong. But she offered this really cool endorsement of um, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. And um, those are the kinds of games from those kinds of indie developers you, you just don't see from AAA titles. And it's, it's just the exposure to that stuff through venues like steam that i think has made the difference there's also a real <clears throat> alteration in perception from gamers on what it means to have a quality game um i remember how generations of graphics would get better with every game every console every game every console and what has really happened in the last decade is that we are accepting graphics <clears throat> that are reminiscent of the early days of gaming in a lot of ways. Uh, games like Minecraft, games like Stardew Valley, these are not games known for fantastic graphics. They're games for no known for something else. It's a fun factor. So really, this, this change of paradigm from it has to look the tightest or have the highest pixels or, or whatever has, has changed in in terms of what we expect from a good and fun game. Some of the best games of the decade are games that look relatively crap in comparison to the AAA games. Right, but have depth in other ways, totally. Right, they have a they have a fun factor, or they have something that, that keeps you hooked. I, in fact, played Minecraft today. Today I just wanted to jump in and dig around, and I did. I had been playing with my daughter over the holidays, and you know that's a game that's always fun to come back to. Looks like garbage, but, you know. Someone is out there screaming that you should look into mod packs. Speaking of technology and development and growth, there are two new consoles that are slated to be released in 2020. We've talked about them before. PlayStation 5 and Xbox Scarlet or Xbox X. Who do you think won the console war of the 2010s? Was it Xbox? PlayStation? Nintendo? They could all die in a fire. And I, I wouldn't care one way or the other. He feels some kind of way about it. <laughs> as far as who actually won, I, it, that's really hard to say. Um... I, I don't even know relative sales numbers. I don't know, you know, I, I can't even... I, I had a guy at a uh, at a GameStop one time try to explain the... Um, it was older generations than current, but the difference between Xbox and PlayStation, and he went into like, oh, this one has has two drives, and it does this, and this one can, this one, uh, can actually do that, and this one can't, but this one can do this instead, and that one can't. And everything came down to well is this going to be better than my pc and the answer was always no and so yeah that's all i need to know my opinion it, it, so i think that there's a clear loser and that's xbox um 
Sony PlayStation, as we have said before, really wins the day for me in terms of exclusive titles. But I think the true winner of the decade, believe it or not, to me, was Nintendo. Um, the Switch was something fresh. It wasn't the same old thing packaged up. It was something a little different. Um, anecdotally, people I know in, in the real world find that the N Nintendo Switch is a lot more accessible, easier to learn, easier to play. It's, you know, you can play it anywhere. I actually went to a Christmas party for my husband's work and his boss was telling me that her Nintendo Switch was the best gift she ever got when she got it. And it wasn't this Christmas, it was previous. She says that it's by far the, the, the best thing that she has in her possession. Um, I have a coworker who is not a gamer, never has understood my nerd culture. I've been working with her for about 17 years and she got a Nintendo Switch. All of a sudden, sudden she's talking games with me. I really think in terms of getting, breaking gamer culture open, Nintendo, like they kind of did in the early days, has made the, the audience bigger which ultimately, to me, beyond sales, beyond who has the best game to play, is kind of what wins the day in, in this period of time when, you know, you've got, you've got your phone you can play games on, for God's sake. So there, there are many, many ways to access video games right now. Uh, Nintendo Switch did something new-ish, or, or at least repackaged it in a way that felt fresh. So I, I got to give it to Nintendo. Do you think that handheld gaming is something that we're going to be leaving behind in the 2010s? Or do you think the Nintendo Switch is going to single-handedly? I absolutely don't. I think what has happened, I think that what has happened, the advent of mobile gaming, people that don't play games got their hands on games, and they said, huh, this is an interesting way to pass the time. Those same types of people, not hardcore gamers, not necessarily people like uh, the, the PC purists, they saw Nintendo Switch, maybe they had kids that wanted one, they played a little bit, they're like, hey, this is like my phone gaming, but hey, it's a little bit better, it's a little bit deeper, there's a little more ease of access, and so they thought this is also a cool way to play video games. So no, I think that because so many more devices are getting thrust into our hands, that type of mobile handheld gaming is around to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere. And in fact, I think it's probably still on the rise. There, there's going to be more and more ways to access games with our digits wherever we be. It's on the rise. I think it'll, I think it'll stay on the rise. Um, but it's, it's akin, in my opinion, to playing a game on your smartphone. Um, it, it, it isn't. Um, it's not nearly as deep as games can be. Um, although the better thing about those kinds of handheld games is that I don't think uh, people even consider them uh, competition for, you know, what would be a PC game or what would be, um, you know, the best that the, um, the, uh, the industry has to offer. Most people recognize them as significantly reduced versions of the games they could be. And so I think they have a place that I'm less resentful uh, for um, than I am with like Xbox and PlayStation consoles. Handheld games, I think you're going to be around forever. The truth is you can't take your PC uh, to the to the waiting area uh, of, of an Outback Steakhouse, you know, if you've got if you've got an hour before your table. You can take your switch and you can take your smartphone. Um, you can take a tablet. You can take, you know, whatever kind of mobile gaming Oh my uh, god, talk device. kids in the lobby, Leo. <laughs> I do. And then I usually hand them my phone. 
um, because they're they're done talking to me. <laughs> but the the truth is, the fact that it's mobile is going to be the thing that makes that attractive. Not is this the end all be all of what gaming can be, and um, in that regard, I'm I'm more okay with it. And I think, uh, I mean, as much as I hold sway over the industry, <laughs> but. Um, I do think it's going to be something that is only going to continue to grow. There just is so much demand for that kind of um, oh, that kind of attention and um, time kill when when you're out in the real world, which is just awful. We are monkeys. We like to have to do with our hands, especially when that involves pressing the shiny buttons. Oh, you're gross. So what new tech are you guys looking forward to seeing advanced or integrated we've talked about things that we've had so far so what are we looking to get to see one of the cooler things that i have um that i've been able to experience over the last decade or so has been the advance of vr in uh, in gaming um i i remember probably 15 years ago my wife and i talking about um, getting a VR system back when they were very first introduced, but at the time, um, they were they were games that had depth, but they were like uh, polygon figures and like it was just terrible graphics. And and I was like, you know what? This is this is really cool potential technology, and I'd really like to see things advance to a level where this is um, more appealing uh, and where the the games have a little bit more depth to them. Um, we recently got an Oculus Rift. And the <clears throat> while the games do lack a lot of depth, just because there's so much else that's running to create a VR game, they are immersive and they are redonkulous. I the, the watching <clears throat> I've watched a number of VR games on YouTube and 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 other and other venues, and there is absolutely no justice done to the way these games actually feel. To you know watching them on a screen it just it, it it's not anything like what they really are to actually play these games is amazing and i'm so looking forward to the increased depth and the increased um, technology that's going to come with improving these games to the point where um, you know they're a contender for you know some of the games that i have loved playing and games that i will love playing i mean Beat Saber is just such a simple concept for a game, but it's ridiculously fun. And I can't recommend VR enough. I'm so excited for what is to come. I'm actually super jelly of, of that. I don't have a VR rig, and I want one really, really badly. Um, I've played VR at uh, like malls or demos. Are you saying that while, while Nate's in, in earshot? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> and Christmas is over, so I think I'm SOL on that on that whole thing. But I do think, I mean, I think that is the future of gaming. The more immersive, more real, more, for at least for hardcore gamers, I think that's where we're going. Places where we feel like we're existing in the world. Um, <clears throat> this isn't necessarily gaming, but one of the things that I put on my bucket list and, and one of my semi-long-term goals is I really plan on going to the Galactic Star Cruiser, which is the Im fully immersive hotel that... Star Wars Hotel that Disney is going to be putting out in Orlando, Florida. It's not necessarily a video game, but there are many elements of it that will be video game-ish to pull you into the, the world of actually existing on a Star Cruiser. Um, it sounds like the type of borderline LARPing, but not quite, um, that I would really super be into. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that type of 
complete and utter immersion. So uh, I, I agree. I think that VR is certainly an avenue to that. We'll see whatever whatever else might be coming out in the near future. But I am jelly of the whole VR thing. Immersion. In that case, I have one more question for you guys before I move on to a different topic. What do you think has changed most about gaming? The hardware, the software, or the social? In the last decade or ever? In the last decade. Let me think for one moment. I think that there is a, a so online gaming has been around before this date for sure, but I feel like the audience of online gamers has grown tremendously since 2010. Um, it isn't just a niche thing. It isn't just a, a pocket corner of basement dwellers anymore who who communicate online. The ability to have friendships across the planet isn't just relegated to video games anymore it, it can happen with business it can happen with social media it can happen you know with a bunch of other avenues of internet life so and i think we're going to talk more about it. but i think that it is the social interactions that have pushed the boundaries the most in the last decade in my opinion we have deeper friendships more realistic interactions than we ever have before Mm, that's a fantastic question, and uh, the the I have to agree with Jace. At least, as far as what's been um, most uh, impactful for me, uh, certainly hardware and software have grown and developed, you know, by leaps and bounds. But truly, the social aspect has been something that has been really interesting to experience. I remember back in I think it was '99, my future in-laws exposed me to everquest and they it was this it was this amazing thing they had to bring me back into their computer room and show me one of their computer monitors and they 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 pointed their avatar toward a character and they said you'll never believe but that is a real person <laughs> behind that behind that avatar and i was like no way and it it blew my mind and from then on online gaming was it um, however, I do think that not only has um, gaming culture evolved where the normalcy of that has settled in, but there's a larger acceptance of, of this as a viable means by which people get um, their social um, jollies, their, their social interaction. It has, it's been home for particularly a lot of introverts. We recently did a poll among our leadership of our guild, um, and we're all introverts. <laughs> we're, there's, there's six of us, and we're all different combinations of things, but every one of us is an introvert. It's... And I think, <laughs> I think it's really telling that this is a really interesting aspect of, of just social life, where I mentioned now to my family, who I'm the only gamer in my family, and I say, oh, they're my gaming friends, or it's an online buddy. And they nod now. Instead of 10 years ago, they would have asked me, what do you mean? Or they would have they would have kind of raised an eyebrow or scoffed. Now they just kind of nod because it's normal now. Yeah. So I think it's that, that social um, evolution and acceptance that's been uh, the, the most impactful over the last over the last 10 years i often quote leo to my friends and family and they know 
they know who Leo is. So it's it, there is a strangeness yeah. to this whole social construct that we have created online. It's not like as weird as it used to be you know there was a time when you say well where did y'all meet and you say the internet and everyone would turn their nose up now if you say where did you meet the internet and everyone just oh okay cool when were y'all getting married or what like it's it's really normal now so while technology both software hardware i would say actually this last decade for software and hardware has been less revolutionary um i've seen bigger jumps in coolness in terms of video gaming since the 80s when you know 70s and 80s whenever some of this stuff was first coming out it hasn't been the most revolutionary, but certainly the thing that to me has changed the most has been the communities that have popped up around this this weird little culture that we have. Totes. I think even the acceptance of something like <laughs> I'll say I'll say something to my family like, um, yeah, and so then they asked, Hey Leo, my real name is not Leo. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. But everyone in my family now, they just kind of nod. Like, oh, yeah, they call you Leo because that's your online handle in this community that you're in. That would have never happened 10 years ago. Like, it, that to me is one of the cooler parts of it. With more VR advancements, more indie developers shining on Steam, new consoles on their way, and new members of our community that we can't wait to meet, the 2020s are looking bright for gamers everywhere. Between the undeniable rise of Disney, the big mouse, the slew of big budget remakes, and a whole lot of new ideas on censorship. The last decade was a big change for Hollywood. The film industries kept right on rolling along. With Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, and other big production companies now buying up smaller ones over the last 10 years, do you think it's still possible for creativity to flourish in Hollywood? I think without a doubt. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of all the buyouts i'm not a huge fan of the you know general conglomeration of you know, creatives quote unquote um however i do think that creative people will create regardless of you know the banner under which they do it i do think there's plenty of opportunity still for uh, the I'm, I'm a huge fan for the underdog so i like to see you know the new up and comer i like to see the new rising star and i like to see the new brilliant story um particularly hollywood talking about movies um but to see that new awesome thing come out of nowhere that to me is still certainly um a factor it always has been and i hope that it always will be i do think it currently still is i think it's a little bit difficult when you start talking about you know are they going to win any oscars or you know that seems to be becoming a little bit more um i don't know a little bit more in favor of the big guys but there are still some surprises uh, and and that i think will never go away people on the whole really love those surprises so i think there's always room for it i'm i'm keeping my fingers crossed i mean absolutely creative people will always be creative um i i agree but sort of for different reasons perhaps in terms of big studio giant productions wide releases there is certainly a clamp down on what can make it 
um, and what is going to get the, the budget and what is going to get greenlit. But as I stated before, technology has progressed such that people can make films with very limited resources on computers in their homes with cameras on their phones frankly um there are some very high quality cameras that we can we can get now on our our phones the iphone 11 for instance has the highest quality camera that you can get on a a mobile device so i i think it it really begs the question what are we really talking about is it just hollywood are we talking about filmmaking in general i i'm totally down to believe that um you know jimmy over in his basement around the block can create a quality story and a quality film and put it out there for people to see um will it get wide release likely not but again because of technology being what it is you can release a film on youtube you can release a film through multiple different varieties of outlets online and people will get to enjoy them i have a buddy who's an actor um he was in a television show on abc but then he also has been in several films. None of his films have made it to the silver screen, have never made it to wide release, that is. But they're all available online. And one of them, in fact, is very, very good. It's, uh, you know, very heartfelt and a tear jerky. And he's always talking about maybe them getting picked, that film getting picked up by a big studio. But does that negate the creativity of it or the, the value of the story? Absolutely not. I think creativity lives because we're a creative race. We're a creative uh, being. And, you know, storytelling is what we have done since we've drawn pictures on cave walls. And there's really no no limit to what we can do, especially now with as many avenues of, of making story as we have. I don't know if we are... Um if we are a creative species i do think we have i think we have some creative individuals within our species and i think they uh they drive the imagination of our species and i'm i'm <laughs> i i like to see where those creatives are able to flourish the the reality is in my experience creatives tend to not like to be told how to be creative and the more these large industries like disney and and warner brothers the more they clamp down on what is and isn't allowed the more that quote creatives i think will resist that clamping down and i think it's a it's a self-defeating um system I think, uh, without getting into criticisms of various things, these large industries have created, quote, safe product. And safe product is, while safe, not inspiring. And you only see that stuff from your, your underdogs. You only see it from your wild cards. And I think more creatives are going to try and get away from these huge conglomerate industries and i think there th those industry those huge conglomerates are going to face increased competition from these more creative people who are willing to take risks and who are willing to produce truly inspiring and and thoughtful and insightful uh, product that I don't know. are going to challenge these industries. I can't think of a more impactful moment in a theater. For me, 
this is this is the Jace Drayson take on life. Then the moment in Avengers Endgame when the portals opened up. And granted, that was a culmination of 10 years worth of filmmaking. But I I don't know of another time since maybe watching E.T. when I was a child that I ever felt that way in a movie theater. And there's no bigger machine than Disney in terms of filmmaking. There's no bigger storytelling conglomerate than the marvel universe right now it is it is very hollywood it is very formula but it still produced something that i think tapped into my personal deep feelings and humanity and i loved it and i don't think that it has to be relegated to these these creative people on the side who don't feel like they can jump into uh, a big studio sure i'm not trying to to negate what people do on the side i like small filmmakers i like indie filmmakers but i do think there's something to be said for having a big budget a long-term plan and a lot of power you can do things with this property that you can't do if you just pick up a camera on the side and, and try to tell a story the, the right. creativity is limited when you don't have that bank of depth uh, when you have the full star wars universe to pull from then you can do a scene well i won't do spoilers yet but like in rise of skywalker that gives you that goosebump feeling all over because you have the properties to pull from creating something new while i am all for it i think it's awesome it still has less impact just at face value for sure i'm i'm, I'm always drawn back to uh, the blair witch project um it was it was an impactful moment for me um cinematically uh, and and for some personal reasons uh, <laughs> we don't have time for the whole story but i i recent or shortly after watching that movie i had to go in the woods for some army training and it was absolutely terrifying because i had this movie in the back of my head and the movie was touted as some kind of true documentary now it was it was groundbreaking in a lot of ways and it was it was totally new it was i mean not totally new but it was very new and it was um it was a lot of un untouched ground and and that is it it's it's akin to striking gold once in a while it happens um and movies like the mc or uh, i don't know uh, sagas like the mcu they are formulaic and I agree. I was emotionally touched by uh, th that same scene that you're talking about, where the portals opened up. I too, like, there was a hitch in hitch in my breath. Is that the right term? What I caught my breath. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, because it was impactful. It was it was seeing the culmination of all these different movies coming together. Um, but I've had that same reaction to a bunch of different movies, and. I don't know the 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 ones that seem more visceral to me are the ones that come out of nowhere. That one didn't come out of nowhere. I was fully expecting that moment in uh, in that movie because it was the finale of like 22 movies, and so I don't know it it didn't have the same kind of unexpected catch, uh, whereas the other movies have, and they seem more impactful when I'm not expecting them. And I think. That's the same for movie-going audience. That's not to say the creatives can't work within, you know, the guidelines established by large corporations. In fact, that's where a whole lot of creatives tend to flourish. But I do think there is that rebellious element in in the creative mind that will forever be 
you know, that element of constant creation of that, you know, the new thing of, you know, running against what is the formulaic response to the audience. Certainly there is power and, and, and creativity is one of those words, but another power is budget and money does talk. It's very expensive to make a film, and in order for a movie to be impactful, we don't want to feel like there is sort of a, a low-budget quality. Now, Blair Witch was unique, and it did have that low-budget quality, but it was meant to, and, and that was part of the charm of the film. Um, but most of the time, you can't get away with that if you're going to, to have a movie that's going to move anybody. Um, generally speaking... You know, you can make a, a movie that's like five minutes long for 500 bucks and that's still like extremely low budget. To make a full feature length film, you're going to need thousands of dollars, even for something that's really, really limited and low budget. Th that limits your storytelling, it limits your reach and impact. So while I'm all for it, again, I'm not trying to poo-poo the creatives. I know that the big voices, and this is just a sad truth of reality, have money behind them and when you can spend a lot of money you have the potential to make a bigger splash and let's not get too far into subverting expectations oh <sighs> no do you guys I think hate that, that phrase is... no it's the worst <laughs> do you think that some of those uh some of that caution has led to the I guess really not necessarily the last 10 years, but definitely the last five, where we've seen a lot of remakes of older, or reboots, remakes, either one. Do you think it's because they're scared to branch out and they're just trying to get the same formula down? Or do you think it was anything else really? I don't think it's fear as much as it's a, a nostalgia's a value. Nostalgia has a value. So if you can, uh, if you can pull a grown person that has money into a place of feeling they're probably going to spend money on your thing regardless of what that thing is so it really is more i think about marketing than it is about a, a lack of wanting to take a risk and i guess it's kind of six of one thing and half a dozen of another because you know this thing has already been successful in the past so certainly you can try to bank on it without having to come up with a new idea or new intellectual property but i do think it has more to do with the fact that they know we grown-ups <laughs> have a full life of entertainment that we have grown up on that you can pull pieces from and we'd be like oh I love that when I was a kid and I'm going to spend money to see it now because I loved it when I was a kid yeah there's certainly no there's nothing wrong with capitalizing on nostalgia I don't think I don't think there's any denying that that's a, a reality or a motivation um, behind a lot of the the remakes and reboots i think where um the 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 only i don't know if grudge is the right word but the only the only criticism i have of the organizations who are responsible for all these reboots and remakes is they're they're so risk verse that there's not they're not in the business of really creating anything new at least in creating anything new that isn't also a weird equally safe kind of kind of new and i know that sounds contradictory but i promise uh there's thought behind it um the the idea of doing these reboots and remakes is to capitalize on of course those of us who saw it as kids and we now have disposable income who can now pay for it or take our kids to it 
Um, and we don't have to put our kids through, you know, 1980s animation or 70s animation. Um, they get to see new CGI and, and all that with the same story that we grew up with. But even the, quote, new stuff that a lot of these um, organizations are putting out, there's still the same formulaic um, safe bet. Uh, they're still the same old hat. I'm I'm really interested in seeing what's new. I'm really interested in seeing some some crazy ideas, and we just we just don't because they're so focused on doing what's safe. I think the idea of the reboots are the safe thing, and it it bleeds into even the stuff that isn't a reboot, unfortunately. I'd try to argue against the nostalgia thing, but. The fact is, I went through McDonald's today, and I got a Happy Meal specifically because they had Star Wars Episode Nine toys. Hello. Yeah, dude. There's no getting away from it. But uh, but I got the Leia toy, so I'm gonna just call that work. <laughs> it's <right>. real. <laughs> Princess. So there is a there's a lot of of movies that have been coming out on the big screen, and on the smaller screen with indie releases. But what do we think about the movies that have been made by streaming companies with on-demand streaming, online viewing, whether you're paying for it or pirating? Do you think that moviegoers have maybe less patience than they used to? Or do you think that it's going to start adverse adversely affecting? I think totally moviegoers are becoming less patient. Uh, and I don't think that it's for bad reasons. Um, the truth is I can watch movies shortly after they come out in theaters on my couch in the comfort of my home with my family on my tv the thing that theaters need to address in my opinion and that the way that theaters stay viable is by providing moviegoers an experience like they haven't for the last i don't know 50 years in the early 20th centuries when movie theaters became a thing they were a night out they were an experience people dressed up it was a thing and there are some theaters at least here locally that have started doing that there are nice huge reclining seats that'll um you know they'll they'll let you recline and you order meals like for the movie that is how theaters stay viable because for me and my wife that's a date night we want to be able to go out and have that kind of experience um when when we were visiting my uh, my parents for um the holidays we went to a theater where I was shoulder to shoulder, like I was literally touching shoulders with the other stranger next to me Gross. in the tiny seat. And it was, it was not an experience that I want to revisit. It's not a theater I'm ever going back to. Get off and of me. <laughs> exactly. That's how theaters die. By providing the quote experience, that's how theaters stay viable. That's how they make their movie going experience an experience. To the original question yes everybody's more patient but it's not just about movies it's about everything we're a streaming more patient we know we are not patient at all we're less patient okay, if i said okay. more i misspoke we have no patience we expect instant gratification we want to download it now pay for it on the internet get it to our house as quickly as possible next day shipping order it online like we it doesn't really have much to do with movies it's our culture we're very fast paced and things that might have caught our attention for a month in the past we're lucky if it lasts a couple of days on our news cycle we are cycling quickly we're just fat we're just processing more quickly that's just who we are in terms of a movie theater staying viable i will tell you how they can do it this is the answer 
I, I went to see Rise of Skywalker, and they were serving Jack and Coke Ices. My theater has alcohol now. They were $10 a pop, and I had two of them. That's how you make money. That is the way to do it. Serve some alcohol during your films. Whether you're a fan of Disney or just Disney-influenced alcohol, <laughs> remaking Jack and Coke Icy. Remaking nostalgic movies or not, the direction of Hollywood does seem to be pretty set for now. We're just going to have to wait and see if internet culture will change the medium, and if that's for better or for worse. Both. Jack and Coke Icy. <laughs> The 2010s have been a wild ride for the internet. We have memes to the where they've they've advanced, they've evolved. They're nearly impossible for people to read if you didn't catch it back when it started or somehow was filled in by some kind soul somewhere along the way. You need a Rosetta Stone, scroll through your Facebook feed, if you use Facebook. Cancel culture has ravaged Twitter and actually has destroyed a couple of careers. The debate on whether the internet is helpful, is helpful, hurtful, healthy, you know, it's ramped to an all-time high. But we're going to soldier on, so let's dive into this mess. The debate about whether movies and TV have desensitized young people to violence, drugs, sex, has existed since the 60s. But the internet is a whole different ballgame. Do you think young people are being desensitized by meme culture and the often dark humor that it spreads? So it's funny you use the term soldier on. Because I actually I have a little bit um, of soldiering uh, to express here in this particular oh, subject. Sir, yes, sir. <laughs> um, I... I thought, as a as a young man, that there were a lot of things that I had been exposed to, and that I I was prepared for, um, and that I was desensitized to, um, particularly you know the realities of let's say uh, armed conflict slash war. Um, the The reality is, while I think. There are a lot of people who believe that they've been desensitized to these things. There really is no preparing for them until one experiences them. I think a lot of the time, uh, those who decry, quote, exposure to potentially problematic or potentially um, traumatic experiences as... Um, uh, as desensitizing the youth or desensitizing whatever a, a, a population of folks to them they have neither experienced those things personally nor have they watched other people who have experienced them personally either um, and I'll say as a as a person who has experienced some of the more traumatic elements of armed conflict there is no desensitizing to them um, at least in the in, in the particular areas that I've experienced either via uh, exposure via the screen uh, in, in television or even um, as experiential in, um, in in video games 
there is there's no desensitizing a person to those kinds of experiences and people when they do experience them uh it changes them to 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 a point and i don't mean to get all deep and philosophical here in what's supposed to be a fun podcast but only to say that while a lot of people like to talk about how exposure to this stuff will desensitize folks, that's just not true there's it in my experience it takes actual exposure to these things to truly desensitize people i have watched folks be desensitized to it and video games television shows movies none of that stuff comes anywhere near um, the actual experience of it nor do you see other people desensitized in ways that are genuine there are pretend desensitizations and there are uh, faux concerns about it but i think a lot of that is voiced by folks who have neither experience nor um, credentials very very fascinating that you came at it from that tack because i think i don't know if this is a complete and utter agreement or disagreement with you but i i, <clears throat> I resonate with what you're saying from a different point of view um i also have a lot of reality in my real life um i deal with things in my job that are um ugly you know death victimization homelessness some really ugly social ills and I have. I also believe that truly the internet is is the opposite of desensitizing people. I think it is actually uh, compartmentalizing people or or disconnecting people from what real life is. And until they're fully, uh, they, they they face reality head on, they, there's just no substitute for reality. And the internet can make fun of it. It can have memes about it. It can get silly, but I think all of that is fine because it's just a way to deal with things that that are very hard to deal with and until you have to deal with them you don't know what you're going to do you don't know how you're going to react you don't know how you're going to respond it's not there's no way you can desensitize desensitize someone to the death of a parent or to a victimization or to losing your job and having to live on the street or like reality sucks sometimes so it's it's almost insulting to me in some ways when people say this experience that you have pretended to have or that you watched someone experience in an entertainment program is is making you de desensitized to the world that's that's insulting because it's not it's it's entertainment it's a it's a compartmentalized separate it's a different thing and humans innately know this and then and they also innately know when they are fully impacted by something that really matters and they respond accordingly totally i've i've also seen the the darkest humor um from the people who are closest to that darkness because it's it's more often than not a coping mechanism for having to deal with that kind of darkness and the idea that that kind of humor is um, not respectful of the circumstance or is um, somehow um, demeaning to the to the folks involved to me is it's rather frustrating um, because it is in and of itself a kind of coping mechanism for some of that super reality some of that rather harsh um, truth 
that life can throw at you. And I, I think online, a lot of folks, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a number, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of a, a number of like veteran um, communities and, and whatnot. And it's some of the darkest and like worst humor and memes that I won't post in other communities because they are, um, I think other communities would find them offensive, but the truth is, I think they are a coping mechanism for these folks who have genuinely faced this darkness and have um, tried to find um, some light in it through humor in spite of it. It is my experience, my observation that people who, who cry out against, who say, who have this whole desensitization argument, who say that you know, television programs are desensitizing youth or video games make kids want to kill, the people who say these things, in my opinion, have the are, lead the most privileged lives. They have experienced the least reality, and are speaking from a place of complete and utter non-experience. So it's kind of just a guess on what they might see happening, but they've never actually had to deal with something heavy. That's a very broad statement, and, and I understand that, but it is definitely my opinion because I've seen it over and over and over again of the, these people who want to separate entertainment from kids or, or, or from people who uh, are it, partaking in it because they fear what the behaviors might come after it. They just, they don't get it. They've never had to get it, so they they have to make up um, a, a justification for something that they just don't understand because they've never been exposed to it. Good gravy, Jace. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> On one hand, social media has made sharing of pictures, stories, and information, dark memes and light memes alike, open to the public much more easily, but it's also been drowned out by a whole lot of noise. Do you think that social media is still an effective method of learning and sharing news? Or do you think that there's enough miscommunication and disinformation that it's just nonsense? This is going to get so political, and I don't know how it's not going to get... I think social media for news is garbage, trash, poo-poo. It's the absolute worst way to get your news. You should never read someone's post or someone's retweet or someone's share on facebook and think oh this is news never 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 if you do it slap yourself in the face right now and say i swear i will never do this again that's not how you learn about the world around you it's fine for sharing pictures of your puppies and pictures of your mom at christmas or if you want to have a cute little quip about how clever you are put it on social media or snapchat each other your silly faces like my daughter does and i don't understand it we're on a spree or whatever you call it and they put a face back and forth for, for two three days i don't i don't understand any of this fine have fun with social media but it needs to be entertainment it needs to be light it needs to be quippy it does not need to be informational because anybody can say anything and so most things are garbage <laughs> i don't <laughs> It's just how I feel. It's just my feelings <laughs> on the matter. All right. I don't necessarily disagree. I just think that there there's potentially good information out there on social media. I think, however, one has to approach it as objectively as they can. That's difficult for people because social media caters to people's preferences and so what that means is any of those social media news outlets and i use that term very sparingly um 
they tend to cater to what it is that you prefer. So if you're a more conservative-minded person, you're going to get more conservative-minded news outlets giving you stuff. If you're a more liberal-minded person, you're going to get more liberal-minded news outlets giving you stuff. And so that tends to be the bubble you find yourself in. I think it takes a very concerted and proactive effort to extend your reach outside of your bubble. I also think there's something to be said for learning about the opinions of those around you. Absolutely. Um, so the the folks who <laughs> the folks who do spread that kind of um information slash misinformation, it tells you something as a user. If nothing else, it tells you something about them, but it also tells you something about the potential cultural climate within which you are operating. Um, so there is certainly something to learn. Now, I'm not an advocate for... I, I think I'm in Jace's camp most of the case here. Maybe not as passionately. But Listen, at least... I live in South Texas and we just came off of the holidays. I've been hanging out with a lot of family lately. I had to listen to great aunts talking about Obama was going to tear down the White House and build a pyramid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm in South Texas too. And I've experienced the same. But I do think that there are certain outlets that do provide... A little bit more objective perspective and they are on social media um I, the, the the problem with it is that you have to count on folks being objective themselves and that just isn't something that the human race is inclined to do on the whole we're very subjective creatures we definitely want our opinions reinforced and we definitely want to talk to people who agree with us and so the idea of reaching across the aisle and and Engaging with folks who disagree with us is something that is so counterintuitive to our nature that I would expect the vast majority of people just aren't going to do it. So when it comes to something like social media, something that we do because it's fun, of course we're going to be told and fed the things we want to hear. That's the whole nature of that industry. The idea of news being objective, unfortunately, that's not not really existent anymore most people get their news from social media and that kind of makes me sad for the same reasons that it makes jace sad um mad I, <laughs> mad mad smad. mad smad smad um but i do think you can as an individual you can be conscientious about that and you can force yourself and i do mean the word force intentionally force yourself to reach out to opinions that are not your own to find out what other people who don't agree with you are thinking. And most people who drop into social media news outlets just aren't inclined to do that. If nothing else, we did say that accessibility was part of a big thing for handheld games and other stuff. At least social media has been more accessible. Ugh. Speaking of echoic chambers and narratives that may or may not be controlled, influenced, etc., let's talk about cancel culture, which, if you are not familiar with that term, refers to how someone's failures, secrets, past mistakes can be brought up and turned into the only thing that they've ever done. Uh, that's very much an overgeneralization, but it can be traced back to a lot of things that have happened in Hollywood incidents and to be fair, some of these things have been very reveals of people's character. Um, incidents like Bill Cosby, Harvey Winston, 
which I totally just mispronounced and Sil's going to yell at me for. Uh, Weinstein. Weinstein. Sure. I thought it was Weinstein. Wait, let's move forward. Weinstein. All right. Has spread onto the internet and has been effectively taking down a lot of opportunities for some for pe- for various people. It's sparked controversy after controversy. Kevin Hart was basically he was encouraged to depart from hosting the Oscars due to old homophobic tweets he had made. Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn was fired from the third film for racist tweets that he'd made back in 2011. Some of these people's careers definitely kind of deserved to suffer based on things that they'd done or said, um, or understandable at the very least. But do you think that everyone should be held accountable for things that they said in a different time? No, absolutely not. Because there was Twitter around whenever I was in high school in my early 20s, I said some really dumb stuff. And I have grown tremendously as a human being since that time. And it would be really sad for me to be judged based on something, an opinion that I might have held as an adolescent compared to a 40-something-year-old 40, 40 man. It's it's really not fair. Now, that, now, let's push aside some of the illegal acts or acts of, you know, when, when people are... Let's just say when people create, commit crimes, certainly people need to pay for committing a crime. But when you just have an opinion and you put it out there and you're 17 years old or 22 years old or 26 years old, and then at 32, you realize, hey, I was wrong. Now this is my opinion. People just shouldn't say, well, yeah, but you used to have this opinion, so now you don't get to have a job. That's silly. We sh- Everybody gets second chances. We should all be encouraged to grow and change and progress. So really to me cancel culture in some ways stifles growth because it says if you're ever wrong about anything you must exist in that wrongness forever and that's not right that's not what it means to be human everybody should have permission to fail everyone should have permission to mess up and then commit to get better and when they get better they should be you know rewarded on that merit um again (laughs) crimes aside i'm not saying people should get away with crimes that's not my point but opinions and culture shifts and you know the sensibilities of society changes so we all should be allowed to change with it and not be held accountable to something that we felt like when we were freshmen in high school okay first of all i would just like to say jace get out of my head because i was <laughs> gonna say all those exact same words instead of saying those words i'm gonna try and say what jace said in a little bit different way because i do agree the idea of us holding people accountable to the things that they said years and years ago is the wrong thing. It's the wrong approach. It doesn't allow anybody an opportunity to grow, and it doesn't allow anybody an opportunity to repent for any of the things that they've said wrong. This council culture that we've been a part of, aside from crimes, to reiterate what Jay said, yes, aside from crimes, the idea of somebody having a wrong, quote, opinion is redonkulous, especially if it was 10 years ago. There is absolutely no room for somebody to even say, I made a mistake, I've grown from this, and I'm different now. The idea that people should hold views that are tantamount to the utmost of the political correct society that we have here in 2020 is just not a realistic expectation. We have the most sea society that I think has ever existed in the history of mankind ever. It's to the point of near ludicrous, the kinds of things that we actually expect people to say and people to think and people to do. Now, those of us who are 
who are involved in in uh, I think internet culture, we're more up to date on what the various expectations are. But that's not the way most people are, and it's certainly not the way people were ten years ago. So the idea that everybody from ten years ago is going to be up to today's standards is is it's just silly. There have been even pillars of progressive thought that have been lambasted for not progressive thought for various things um jk rowling was um lambasted because she she drew suspicion as a trans exclusionary radical feminist um and the words drew suspicion were in magazine articles like it's the woman's views like let her have opinions let her have her views and don't blacklist her for just having an opinion there was a west point okay hand gesture that was that was thrown around the internet as a white power symbol which has been debunked as a 4chan prank and yet those cadets were still lambasted online as having been white supremacists like there are so many examples of these things just really growing out of control again crimes notwithstanding but the idea of this social capital being the thing that ruins people over, I mean, frankly, silly stuff is, uh, it needs to go. Where I will draw a distinction really quickly is if, so if you're still being with, <laughs> I don't know how to rip, how to say things without being super controversial. So if you're still having a Cro-Magnum view of society today, like certainly some limitations are going to be drawn around you. There will be a box. I hire people for a living. If you express an opinion in your interview with me that is counter to the culture that we're trying to promote in my agency, I'm not going to hire you and you don't get to have that job. You're held accountable to what you believe now, certainly. But I, I do believe in letting people be who they are now and not holding them to, uh, you know, it, judging them on perhaps their worst moment in their life. That's the part that I find unfair. Um, I do yeah. think that people need to progress. If you're still holding on to those ideas that we believed 10 years ago or 20 years ago and you're not willing to open your mind and think, hey, things might be better and different now, then I'm, I'm not it's saying cancel culture them. I'm not saying they should never get to have a job again, but I don't want to hire you. And I'm not really super interested in hanging out. Yeah, for sure. When I was uh, um, 16, 17, back in the <laughs> 90s, um, I had I had a buddy of mine who came out to me as gay, but only after several years of having been friends. And his reason was because I used to say, oh, that's so gay as a pejorative comment. And to me, that wasn't meant as some kind of pejorative, but to him it was. And it took him saying that to me for me to realize, oh, I can I can see now where that would be something other people might not appreciate and i could see certainly where someone who is gay and who is not in a place where they feel that they can come out to everybody i can see where me making those comments would make them uncomfortable it took that realization and that let me grow if he had blacklisted me and he had like never spoken to me again like that would not have been an opportunity for growth for me right why would you want to like right, at that exactly. point you're stifling someone's progression right and and that was to me a very very clear moment of growth and i think those are important in this cancel culture we're forbidding those opportunities for growth for people 
Do you think that the internet, in its prolific way, has made people more sensitive to different opinions and views, despite the fact that it may be exposing them to more than they would have otherwise viewed? <laughs> more sensitive? No. Um, I think it has exposed people to wildly different opinions that they would experience in real life. Um, honestly, the idea of me having, like the interaction that I just talked about, of a gay friend who came out to me when I was 16 or 17 and had waited the years that he had to actually say something to me, I imagined that I would have had that exposure online way faster than multiple years into that friendship. Um, because people just tend to be more open and tend to be more real online because there's there is that facet of anonymity um he could have even come out to me online faster without you know risking exposing himself to any kind of derogatory nonsense my idiot teenage self you know might have thrown his way and i think i would have had a better opportunity to learn the internet was not nearly as prolific in my teenage years as it is now and it would have helped me quite a bit Exposure is good. Um, representation is good. I think that when you can see yourself in communities or belonging in other people, it certainly gives you courage, regardless of what your thing is, to be more authentically yourself, which is always a good thing in my opinion. I will say that as a GM, one thing that does surprise me is how often I get poked from guild members who say something along the lines of, I was in guild chat and someone said this really offensive thing and then they show me that really offensive thing and I'm like, mm, so get over it. Um, there is, a, I, I believe we are an 18 and up guild in Divine Conclave and we have a rule, a, a standard that, you know, sometimes grown up topics are going to come up. Be ready for grown up co conversation. If you want to blank out on it or, you know, hide guild chat during it, that's your prerogative. But I'm not going to police grown ups on certain topics. Now, there's certainly some non-negotiables we don't allow the all the isms that that's all you know we have zero tolerance policies for all of that as as you do in the community like ours but there's some grown-up stuff that people talk about and i think that grown-ups should be allowed to talk about it it really does surprise me sometimes when I'm, i get those pokes of hey you need to put a stop to this because they're talking about this certain topic of tabooness i'm not going to put a stop to it because we're grownups and so there is this there there really is a sensitivity to um a moderate an expectation let me say that there's an expectation of moderation online that oftentimes surprises me um and as a gm i'm not willing to moderate a community on that level especially a community of adults if we had minors i would think that some policing is due um, i don't want to expose minors to some topics that perhaps their uh, parental units would not want them to so we just don't deal with that at all but it, there that expectation of moderation is is i think a new thing um that the internet culture has brought around there is the expectation that we're going to go tell internet dad or internet mom that this person is saying the no-no words and uh we need it to be stricken from the record um and i have to say it again just so i'm not going to get any emails the, the fact is, we do have a zero-tolerance policy for the isms, you know, the racism, homophobia, you know, bashing people's religions. We don't put up with that. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, sometimes we do talk about some risque things, some sexual, perhaps, topics come up, and people might get a little, you know, 
sensual in their in their chat and and i don't care because we're all beings that do that stuff and so sometimes we want to talk about it so talk about it um if you don't like it you know there, there are probably other communities that are more highly moderated that might be more accustomed to what your sensibilities are yeah i think on, on top of people potentially being more sensitive to it i i think they're they're growing accustomed to far more moderated communities mm -hmm. and i think in a community of adults we you know we're, we're willing to let some of conversations carry on whereas people are more accustomed to like oh no he's talking about x or they're they're talking about y and the truth is there are adult conversations that you know people let happen so long as one isn't being disrespectful hateful or one of those isms yeah i mean that's as yeah as a moderator in one of our 17 plus guilds that does account for my for minors there have been a couple of instances where we've had to whisper people and be like maybe just tone it back just, just a little they're like but freedom of speech and we're like you have a group chat we don't yeah. care if you talk about it you just can't talk about it here specifically yeah we don't want yeah. a lawsuit when minors are present it does change the rules for sure yeah minors yeah. makes all the difference um so but yeah so there's been a lot of changes over the last 10 years especially for those poor minors who are still undergoing change um it's an election year folks oh, oh my god are we allowed hats. to talk about that no <laughs> oh, no we're cutting here that's the outro we're done <laughs>
most New Year's resolutions just turn into things to bring me shame. And I don't believe in bringing shame to myself anymore. So perhaps my resolution will be to steer myself from self-hatred. And I'm not going to promise nothing. Let it be noted, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Drayson has had more New Year's than Leoran has. Barely. And as such, he's achieved the level of wisdom that I have yet to achieve. And so, as an older, wiser man, <laughs> he has managed a level of insight I have yet to achieve. And I'm still working toward a follow. <laughs> but let it be said, as an older man, he's probably wiser than me. It's just so arbitrary. Like, this particular day, I'm going to make promises that I can't fulfill. That's just not how real life works. Sure, it's a day on the calendar that makes it feel like things are new, but nothing's new. Nothing's changed. Everything's the same. We're going back after the holidays and we're bummed about it. The the fact of the matter is, if I ever want to make a change, I'll make a decision when I want to make it, and I'll do the things that I have to do to achieve it after that point. New Year's resolutions, to me, are bunk. I mean, good for you. The point is not that. The point is that you're older than me. That's all Barely, I to make. Barely. Like, probably a matter of months, most likely. <laughs> no, it is not. Honor the master, Padawans. <laughs> As the one with the fewest New Year's and the fewest New Year's resolutions, uh, I can The one who just say. achieved 20? Like, yeah, a, like yeah. a month ago? Six months ago. Come on now. <sighs> July birthday. Um, but yeah, no, I... I, I've never really made a New Year's resolution. I either forget about it two weeks in or go, eh, I don't care that much, and I move on. So, I'll see you at the gym, Leo. No, you won't. <laughs> if you'd like to submit a tea time question for the podcast, head on over to SoakingGaming.com slash SoakingMedia and find the submission bar on the right-hand side of the page. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week for our review of the last decade. For more Sokin Media, visit us at SokinGaming.com slash Media, follow our Twitter at SokinGaming, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Sokin Gaming Community. You can look for future episodes of the podcast on Google Podcasts and iTunes. Until next time, I've been T. I'm still Jace. I was, and am, and will remain Leo. And we'll see you next week. Stay classy in the roaring 20s, Sokin. Thank you for listening to the Sokin Community Podcast. Craving more? Visit us on Twitter and YouTube at Sokin Gaming, as well as our website, www.sokingaming.com. Until next time, stay classy. Right, Jace?